Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody, to the Confident Retirement Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Flaming, here as always. And today I have the honor of welcoming Thomas Miller to the podcast. His self-named law firm specializes in innovative solutions for clients in family law and other matters throughout Northern Illinois. He's an experienced family law mediator with over 20 years of experience. Thomas, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, we'll have some fun. So you have kind of interesting background. Maybe take us through briefly uh, how you found your current career, how you got to where you are today. Well, actually, I started uh, towards international law and the study abroad in Ireland, New Zealand, ended up uh, nearly making it to the Department of State as a diplomat. Okay. Uh, and uh, it, they put me on a waiting list for a couple of years. So I, I got a job at a family law firm, you know, just to hold down. But after two years, I was held down. So I was <laughs> from international law to domestic relations. Yeah. And I ended up staying and, you know, liking and, and really getting a lot of expertise in that field. So that, that's yeah. That's a great story. You were holding, waiting to be a, in the, a diplomat, and then you just did this as a side thing by the time over, and then you figured out you liked it. I like that. That's yeah. good. So if you could maybe go back in time and give the younger you some advice, you know, something you wish you knew back then that you know now, uh, what, what do you think that that would be? That's a good question. I think I would probably get a whole life policy right around the age of 18. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, seriously, I do have a, actually I have a friend and a colleague that uh, whose father did that as his graduation gift and thought uh-huh. it was the most boring gift he would ever get, and he's really happy with it now. And perhaps started a retirement account with even mm. small, regular contributions, you know, early on. All right, yeah, those are both good pieces of advice. I like that, especially because I'm in finance, I'm an advisor, so you hit the nail on the head there. So, how did you? come to decide on the areas of the focus for your practice? You kind of touched on that a little bit, but how did you, I know that you were doing family law just to buy time over waiting on the diplomat thing, but how did you decide or come to that conclusion that you really liked that and that was going to be your areas of focus? Well, over time, you as you do something before you know it, you're so into it and you start getting into the details and, you know, it, 
what's important depends on perspective. So, you know, mm-hmm. international things are important because the word international is in there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's big things. But over time, also, I realized that in domestic relations, it's a, the most important thing because it's actually dealing with individuals and their individual mm-hmm. issues. It's the most the most important case to anybody is is a family law case or perhaps criminal would be another, you know, yeah. another area. And over time, what I uh, really decided that I liked was, uh, well, two aspects. One is the mediation, the, the kind of middle arbitrator. And I also do <laughs> arbitration, mm-hmm. uh, helping people reach a resolution. And the other uh, being the division of uh, retirement plans, which happens in nearly every single divorce. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just because I don't mind doing math. And that it turns out that I'm one of the very few attorneys that doesn't mind doing math. And so then, you know, I end up dividing up these pension plans and attorneys just refer those cases to me because they don't want to touch it. So, right. Yeah. I don't want to screw up the calculation. Right. I'm going to defer to the prefer to the expert. Okay. So what do you think is maybe uh, some common misconceptions that clients have about working with you or maybe what you do initially that you have to educate them around? Globally speaking, or more specifically to these? uh, Uh, Let's speak specifically with like the family law matters. Sure. I think sometimes uh, people hire a lawyer to be the hammer with which to hit Mm. in order to obtain something. Okay. And, you know, imagine if two people do that, then there's just two hammers kind of going at it. And, you know, as part of the role, it's the actual license that I hold and a brother lawyer is it's attorney and counselor at law. Mm-hmm. So the attorney part, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll look at your facts. I'll look at the law and, you know, uh, give you an analysis. But then we have to do a cost benefit analysis of it as well. Something might be possible, but it would cost you $20,000 in attorney fees. And the benefit is at most, you know, 2025, you know, then I'll advise you that it's not a good idea. And, if you still want to pursue that, I think one of the misconceptions is, is that, you know, a lawyer will be paid, I'll do whatever that I want. And I don't think that that's my role because at the end, you'll be a very unhappy client. If I know at the beginning, you're not going to get it and I'll just make fees along the way. Yeah. So I think the counseling or advising part, you know, is sometimes missing. And I'm not only blaming the clients or the prospective clients in that. I think that that is and issue for some attorneys as well for yeah. getting that, that part of the job. Right. I like how you said that. That's very, uh, I don't think that spoke about a lot, right? Where what's the cost benefit analysis? Sure. You might want to do this because you're angry or you want to get back at them, but what is it going to cost you? And is that, is that really worth it? And then can the person take that information and actually make a decision under a lot of duress or maybe a very emotionally charged situation? Okay. So what would you say is kind of an ideal client that you like to work with when it comes to uh, the family law portion of your practice? You know, I don't really have an ideal client in mind. So, I mean, yeah. I really have to think about, you know, specifically how to answer it. Maybe a better way to ask that is the types of clients you don't like to work with. <laughs> <laughs> well, the non-paying kind would be the short answer for any service provider. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's what I, I want somebody that is... The best is when it's somebody that knows what they want, they're decisive, but they're willing also to be educated. And then they understand that they came to me 
mm-hmm. to be educated. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody is an expert in everything, right? right? So, you know, any of us can do our taxes. It's just the, the learning curve is probably not worth it. And you're likely to miss something. Mm-hmm. So people that recognize that, that they came to and the reliance, that's what they're paying for. In fact, mm-hmm. what I tell people in cases sometimes <clears throat> is, you know, you're paying me to do the warring for you. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't remove completely, obviously, your emotions involved, but, yeah. but you are to some degree giving, you know, you're paying me so that I handle that those concerns and tell you, here's what we do. Okay. And part of a divorce proceeding or a dissolution of marriage involves the equitably splitting up marital assets. Okay. You have an expertise in that. What's What's the process in that? If you can kind of give us a 30,000 foot view of what's involved. Sure. So typically, and I say that as divorce law or family law varies state by state, but some concepts are are universal, you know, across the United States. And typically that is that everything you earn during the marriage is marital. Okay. Some exceptions like a gift or inheritance, those would be non-marital, whoever got them, keeps them, or things that you've accumulated prior to the marriage and just the growth on those investments, but any contributions that are made. So typically, that's why retirements are such a big deal because, you know, they might exist from before marriage, after marriage, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you're contributing to them and your employers perhaps contributing to them. And so then at least in part to their marital. So then the question is, how do you divide up? What does equitable mean? And, you know, typically it's the common sense 50-50, that's equitable. And then we can move off that a little bit yeah. because somebody has a large non-marital estate, mm-hmm. you know, inheritance that they can rely on. But that's what it typically comes down to, 50-50. And then the parties knowing that can make the choice to offset, you know, I'd rather keep the house. And, yeah. you know, okay. And awesome. That's very well explained. And there's this concept with retirement plans specifically something called a quadro, which is a qualified domestic relationship order, I think. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong. But those are involved a lot of times when there's a retirement plan. So maybe help our listeners understand what a quadro is, how it works, um, how it functions. Certainly. So I got it almost exactly right. It's a qualified domestic relations order, Okay. a quadro, and a QDRO. And it is an a device that exists under federal law. ERISA is the federal act, which I'm not sure exactly, but I think it's the Employee Retirement Something Act, okay? I think it was 1974 or something like that. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know it's in the 70s Yeah, uh, where they passed it. And the idea is that, again, how do you facilitate protection for the participant that's earning it, but at the same time allow some exceptions very few, to invade it, to divide it. And that's done by this type of an order, this quadro. The quadro has to be very precise. It's typically a multi-page order that uh, directs the plan administrator, whoever is in charge, the main fiduciary controlling the plan for the benefit of the participants, telling them what to do. You know, so in the case of a 401k, 50% as of, a certain day mm-hmm. goes to this former spouse. And then, you know, there are many details that you can put in there. Does that include market fluctuations that amount from the date of divorce until you get the money? 
yeah. or not? Are they just getting a straight amount? You know, those are things that are going to be worked out typically in a divorce. And mm-hmm. if they weren't, then, you know, unfortunately, you might have another mini proceeding to figure them out when yeah. it's time to enter the quadro. The quadro is to be entered by the court and then a certified copy is provided to the plan administrator who then actually reviews it to make sure it complies with ERISA. Mm-hmm. Because the state court judge probably doesn't know and most lawyers don't have any idea of what you know ERISA is about. And they make sure that it complies with their obligations and then they implement it, you know, meaning they pay out. Yeah, right. And there's a lot of considerations there in terms of, but like you said, um, I've seen them where they're very, very general or vague, maybe two sentences or something like that. And then I've seen them that are very specific. So in your opinion, is the more specific, the better, or can you have too many details in there and it causes more problems? So there's two steps. You know, one is in a divorce decree, the judgment, the dissolution yeah. of marriage. How will this thing be divided? Because that's what ultimately controls. Mm-hmm. So whether that's general or specific, well, that depends on who I'm representing. Okay. So if I want still to have the ability to argue to give somebody less or to gain more, then maybe I, I'm okay with general language. Yeah. But, you know, in principle, you want more detail is better. Yeah. And then in the quadro itself, that should be as detailed as possible because you want to make sure that what ends up happening is what you expected. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it doesn't. So the best thing possible is a specific amount of money. And then you say, you know, whether it includes these market fluctuations or not. Yeah. But then everybody knows what, what you're getting. We just put in, you know, 50% of as of, well, you know, who knows? Did somebody right. take out a loan before against this plan? And, yeah. money, you know, right. So, so more specifics, more detail, generally better. I'm a little biased. I'm a lawyer. So, I, you know, I, I like to talk more than, you know, the average person. But but in this case, I think detail is is good. Okay. Yeah, there's always that chance of funny business going on yeah. inside people trying to hide stuff. So let's switch gears just a little bit. You also have a lot of experience with pre and post nuptial agreements. So how how have you seen those work well for people in your practice? Because there's maybe a stigma around it. Like, why are you doing that? Are you already just assuming that you're gonna not it's not gonna work out? So where where have you seen those work well? You know, I've seen an upswing, a large upswing. Since uh, COVID, in fact, after this, I'm going to a, a prenuptial signing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds like a ceremony, but really, you know, it's put on record that, you know, everybody's doing it of their own free will, you know, nobody's under pressure. Mm-hmm. And I have always seen, you know, for now nearly 22 years of doing this, people that are on their second marriage or, or third marriage, and that's, it, you know, makes perfect sense because you might have children and uh, you want to provide for them and you're trying to protect your financial situation for the life that you you have had. Yeah. Um, what's happened recently, I see a lot of uh, younger people. Mm. And, you know, and I see that across the board, meaning, you know, I see same-sex couples doing it. I see, you know, people that are affluent, people that are not affluent, people that are in school. And we have to remember what these people are looking at in their lives. And that includes 50% or more divorce rate. Right. So so half or more than half of their parents got divorced and they saw yeah. maybe it was a terrible time and they want to avoid that stigma. It's there. But I think that this thing is so the agreement is so private. It doesn't go through the courts. You don't have to tell anybody, yeah. you know, other than uh, other than your prospective spouse. Your, sure. Your, your right. Yeah. So, they've got to agree to it. 
Right. But other than that, and so I, I think it's totally fine. It's just it's it depends. Uh, I do not pass judgment on, on that kind of thing. Sure. Right. Yeah. You're providing the valuable service to them, trying to be a objective part of it, which is good. So I want to shift gears just a little bit. What do you kind of see as the biggest opportunity going forward for your firm, your practice? Are you in growth mode? Are you trying to maintain with the clients that you have? What do you kind of see as your as your next big goal or opportunity? I think that just educating the public and uh, my you know prospective clients about the effect or well, they're educating about protecting their assets. Okay, and uh, that includes spending money on litigation. So mm-hmm. the option to mediate and negotiate financial distribution of assets, which the courts will never order. The courts will order people to attempt to mediate an agreement about custody, but mm-hmm. not about finances. Mm. And you know that I think is something that, particularly coming out of COVID, I think that one thing that happened during the pandemic is people came out very pragmatic and are looking for solutions, ways to shortcut through the system and not be two years in court for divorce. And so if you're not married, consider a premarital agreement, a prenup, okay? Mm -hmm. Consider a postnuptial agreement if you are already married, or, you know, if you have made the decision to get divorced, then consider exchanging information, documents, and then sitting down with an impartial party, an attorney that's going to help both of you reach an agreement. Um, mm. yeah, so, you know, I think I'm always in growth mode in, in some way. At the same time, you know, very little changes in terms of what is happening with the public. The 50% yeah. divorce rate has been around for some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe there's just some trends in where the biggest growth is. I was talking to somebody earlier today and they're just talking about late life divorce where the, the trend on that is much higher than the younger younger age group. So that's an interesting uh, phenomenon. I agree. That's a very good point. It is. We are seeing older people. And, you know, a funny anecdote from years ago when I started and the couple was well in their 80s. And we asked our client, you know, why now? I mean, you can live separately. And he said, well, you know, I want to die happy. Yeah. And, you know, whether you view that as a sad thing or whether yeah. you view that as a positive yeah. You know, note, it's definitely is prerogative to do that. So yeah. and we are living longer. And what is old now oh, right. was not 20 years ago. So. Yeah, that's true. Life expectancies have gone up. OK, so maybe on the flip side of that, what do you what do you view as kind of a challenge or an obstacle or, or something that you would like to overcome professionally, you know, like with your business? And this is probably something that ages me in answering this question like that. But at least in Illinois, and, and, and I have a feeling nationwide, there is an overabundance or greater supply than demand of attorneys. People are still okay. at law school like like crazy. And um, a, there's not a sufficient amount of jobs at uh, high-level law firms and corporations for them. They end up hanging out their you know, proverbial shingle out there and then you know, practicing what seems easy. And what mm. seems easy typically is individual service to individuals, which is family and, you know, criminal work. Yeah. Um, Which, as we discussed at the beginning, is actually the thing that's going to affect people's lives the most. Yeah, right. Your small claims case over a car crash or whatever is not going to affect you as much as a divorce case. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, it's people search for whatever is the least expensive. And if mistakes are made, then, you know, repairs are more painful. Right. That's well said. I mean, if you need to have an oil change, maybe 
looking for the lowest cost provider and, you know, how long they've been in business isn't important. But if we're talking about brain surgery or resolving a marital conflict or splitting up assets or something like that, you probably don't want to go to the least experienced, least expensive person. You pay what you, or you get what you pay for, right? Certainly. On your example, when I was young, cheap and poor, uh, I did have that oil change done with the wrong size filter put on. My car almost, uh, the engine almost overheated and burned out because the oil was not going through. So, All right. So maybe that was a bad analogy. You can't even (laughs) trust the low cost provider on that stuff. All right. I thought the oil change would be pretty simple, even for a beginner. Look up reviews. Okay, yeah, that's right. Now we got reviews. We got reviews for everything. So, Thomas, I'm just curious your personal opinion on this. If you could maybe give the audience, our listeners, one piece of advice, just in general, on resolving conflict in our own lives, what would that be, given your perspective? Remove yourself, you know, take a step back, attempt to look from the outside Mm. which on your own alone is impossible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, determine what you think you want, but then move and do talk to the expert. And this is not just to benefit me from getting more clients, but there really is something about having somebody on your side, in your corner, that is not emotionally vested in the way you are. Yeah. And I think that applies to any decision in your field and in, in finance too. We can all look up, learn a little bit, and you know, save the, the buck on, on on hiring somebody to help us out. But in the long run, it's not a good idea. You know, I've had to undo so many situations and cases that have been done without you know that that professional. It, it's not worth it. Yeah. Right. The Saving the money is not worth the pain and the and the cost afterwards. Okay. I think that's a good insight. Now, if people wanted to learn more about you or contact you, uh, get in touch, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, you can look me up on the internet. Uh, website is thomaspmiller.com. P as in Peter. I have other various websites that are specific to Quadros, as we've discussed. Quadros, uh, okay. which is the Illinois version of it. Yep. That's the main one. And you can email me. You can call me. I don't know if you want me to give the actual telephone number. No. Well, is everything located on the website? Everything is located on the website. Okay. So we'll encourage everyone to go there. Yeah. Check out. And look me up, you know, look up LinkedIn, look up Google reviews. Cause uh, you know, same as with the oil change, you know? Right. (laughs) Right. You're just doing something a little more complicated. <clears throat> more steps and bigger, ze- more zeros. Right, right, right. But the review process and, you know, do your due diligence. Kind That's of right. That's right. Yourself. As always. Cool. Thomas, listen, I want to thank you for being here with me today. It's been a, a really good conversation and I'm very happy to have spent the time with you. And I want to thank everyone for turning tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we help to bring the confidence of everyday people up to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for listening, watching, and tuning in. Thomas, thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.